0: Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Broleson. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack. And maybe a bottle of wine. And let's go on a wild ride into the unknown.
1: Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone. Running far, far from home Till I am but skin and bone Oh evening good whatever whenever you're listening to this it's funny I feel like we started this thing off and we were like yeah we're gonna have little cocktails and drinks
0: I was thinking about that the (laughs) other day actually it's funny you mentioned that I was like remember when we said we'd have like a drink and now we're like in the morning with our coffee and tea and water and
1: just I mean it's (laughs) surviving it's technically a drink so yeah but we keep doing it in the morning which I know
0: I prefer the morning honestly I feel like morning's better for me
1: well I feel like Uh, if we do it in the evening it just kind of sits over me all day and I'm like I have it's not that I don't enjoy doing it but it's like it's still to do a thing to do kind of a performance that you have to put on I mean everything we talk about is very real but like we got to keep in mind that we have an audience too and you know we want to put on a good show and have a good story so right so it's a little bit not like having a phone call
0: you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not like you can just like scroll through your phone and just say yeah mhm sure sure
1: <laughs> <laughs> super cool um that's great yeah lady. love that
0: for you <laughs> anyways i need to go eat i'll call you back tomorrow
1: exactly no right. we have to be engaged yeah
0: <laughs> which is gonna be super hard for me today because i've been trying to clean out the second bedroom and like there's so much shit on this desk right now <laughs> <laughs> i was just like looking around I was like god i'm my ad is not gonna have a fun time so i'm definitely gonna try my hardest to be that's okay I gotta how are go you grocery doing
1: shopping and i gotta do some stuff in the yard to prep for my fall garden but it's hot it's miserable Oh, that's fun
0: what are you putting in your fall garden i am it's kind of it's, it's hot so it's like yeah it's interesting i pulled out some yeah. seeds when i was cleaning up this room and on the back it has like the peak like sowing <laughs> yeah. sowing however you want to say it time yeah and yeah like carrots february to may and august to september i'm like cool still in the august to september time frame <laughs> yep <laughs> by two so, days
1: the sewing depends very much on your grow zone and because we you and i are in such extreme warm grow zones it kind of throws all the rules out the window and so you um, have to do research to kind of get an idea for yourself so i found this really great page that the texas a&m AgriLife put out basically saying like how to grow a garden in south texas and like when you can plant things what you can plant so that's cool which is really useful i'm sure there's something for florida too you can grow pretty much all year round in florida i would think
0: Uh, yeah it seems like you can and i don't know if i told you this but somebody fucking stole my citrus tree when i was moving from yeah when i was moving (laughs) from my other house i had like one lime on it and i've been like tending to that thing for like a year and a half trying to get it yeah. to like produce more fruit it would flower multiple times I was like really excited to put it in the ground here instead of just having it in a pot mm-hmm. and my boyfriend and I had moved it from the top deck out to like in front of the fence like in the parking area in front of the fence not like you know where the trash gets picked up or anything mm-hmm. and we're like we'll come back for it and we never came back for it right away but like I was like oh it should be fine it's like on the property it's right. like not like I don't know it's not like it's being out closer to the curb and it means like someone can pick it up and I really think it was the landscapers that came to trim the trees I think they just like took it I think wow. that they thought that like it was up for grabs I was like that's not up for grabs like a freaking citrus tree <laughs> that sucks. so I need to get another one of those I'll
1: <laughs> no. I'll give you a tip I don't know if it works for fruit trees but um to get stuff to flower I use or to get stuff to go from flower to fruit um, mm-hmm. I use a little paintbrush and I will self-pollinate because we don't have a lot of bees in our area oh. for some reason. Interesting. Um, it's better back in this backyard, but at our old house, because it was right on the water. It was windy all the time. We never had bees. So I literally take a paintbrush and like pollinate the flowers. Like going from one to the other. Um, and it worked. But yeah, so my fall garden... I'm kind of staggering the planting. I'm going to do another round of green beans and try squash again, although I'm not been having luck with that this year. Yeah. Get them going before it starts getting cooler. And then um, I'm going to do Brussels sprouts and broccoli wow. and bok choy in yeah. October. Cool. And then in November, I'm going to plant some garlic
0: for Ooh. the following spring. How does garlic even grow? Is it in the ground? Like you have to pull up the bulb?
1: Yeah, it's like an onion. Okay, kinda. gotcha. And I don't know quite how you plant it yet. I'm gonna have to do some research into that. But you buy the bulbs, I think, and you break the bulbs up. Okay. Um, into and like individual the little, cloves. Yeah. And then you plant those. So. Gotcha. Then they'll make more, supposedly.
0: That's neat. Yeah. I. I really want to get a garden going and I think I should just bite the bullet and order some wood, even though it's super freaking expensive to buy wood now and just like make raised garden beds. Yeah. And just fucking do it because this backyard is not getting done anytime soon. No. Uh,
1: I honestly, I have been a messy, not by the book gardener since I started. We used to have raised beds in Virginia that I used, but my best gardens have been here. And I literally just, like, bared a patch of the ground and dug it up and put dirt on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's where my garden is. Like, I'm not out here tilling. I'm not out here with raised beds. I just kind of put stuff in the ground and see what happens. That's cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know. Well, our yard is all rock. And it's just more rock underneath the rock. Oh. Oh, so so I can't really. It. Yeah. So I really need it. And I would love to have hibiscus bushes, like, on the front and back line of the fence. So, mm-hmm. like they'll it's like privacy but also when they bloom it smells really nice and like right and also like use the hibiscus flowers like hibiscus tea and Mm. things like that which would be really nice um but digging into the ground and planting those i don't think it's gonna be an option because it is so rocky but i don't know i might i might be able to do it but my other option plan b was to just make like i don't know like two and a half three feet tall yeah. like raised wooden beds and just put the hibiscus bushes there so they're already kind of the height of the fence yeah and then like you can just always trim them off and everything yeah so I'm kind of getting some <laughs> difficult feedback with the grass though some people are like why would you want to put grass down it's like more maintenance I'm like yeah but I have a dog I don't want him to like be on rock all the time
1: you know like yeah,
0: that's a good point point. <laughs>
1: and it is different when you have a dog so how are you your parents Good. got COVID.
0: My parents have COVID, yeah. Surprisingly, my mom's not freaking out too much, but she's still is freaking out enough. I was in a meeting with my boss and my phone was blowing up because she was like talking about how she had COVID again and yeah. everything. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but I also can't respond to this right away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, And she sent me a photo of her COVID test and it was like, It was negative. It was just that top pink line. Clearly, no bottom line. And she goes, "Is this negative?" I'm like, "Yes, mom. It's negative." Like, (laughs) I know you've done like thirteen thousand of these. Like, you need need more answers. Like, if it was even faint at all, there are images in the instructions. (laughs) You can just (laughs) look at them. (laughs) She had like a hundred and two degree fever and like went (sighs) to urgent care and. She was getting tested for strep because, you know, her COVID test was already negative and they tested her for strep flu and coronavirus and the COVID one came up positive. So uh, that was a bummer for her. But she had the whole like sore throat, felt like you swallowed glass, like Mm -hmm. that's just never fun. And then she was just like sneezing and coughing all the time. I was like, yep, been there like (laughs) and um,
1: (laughs) sounds like your mom is trying to collect them all as my brother put it yeah um, seriously yeah because <laughs> he catch got them all gotta catch them oh. all um because he got three of the oh my god really himself yes <laughs> and so by the third one he was like i'm i'm you know trying to yeah catch him <laughs> but he and he was almost mad that he missed omicron
0: <laughs> he's like oh i could have had that another star in my
1: belt <laughs> oh my god <laughs> ethan is he okay like he's, does he have any he... long-term never had like serious symptoms he, he was like yeah it was okay i'm like that makes sense because you're like the healthiest person in the family yeah. like there's literally nothing physically wrong with him so yeah yeah i still still haven't gotten it that oh. i know of really yeah
0: good for you Sucks. i don't <laughs> <Tori> hasn't either
1: <laughs> i don't know and it's 10 not a like 10 would been, not recommend <laughs> not like we've been particularly careful in a while um, yeah, I think ever since Omicron, we've just kind of been like, eh.
0: yeah.
1: well, well, I mean, we'll like a mask hat- when we fly, but that's about it now. That's what
0: I was just about to ask because I think that's how I got mine in May. Was like it was when they lifted the mask restrictions on flights, and I was like, cool, I'm gonna try this out. And then I get COVID, and I was like, Fuck, <laughs> all right, I'm wearing a mask on planes from here on yeah. out.
1: <laughs> it's just too many people and too close a proximity, recycled air, and yeah flying metal canister it's like I I'm not super worried about getting COVID now but like if I'm going on vacation I don't want to get COVID
0: that's a thing enjoy
1: my vacation right yeah just mask up like I don't care
0: yeah it's like (laughs) what three hours of wearing a mask so you can enjoy your week of vacation right
1: I don't I don't trust any of y'all to be vaccinated (laughs) yeah (laughs) honestly let's get into our stuff yeah. Um, yes let's all right so today we're gonna skip our usual news story because we've got a lot to talk about we're talking about a very big event that I remember and you remember almost as well as like an event like say 9-11 yeah this it was bad it a pivotal event in American history I think um, that being Hurricane Katrina in 2005 Mm -hmm. um, which seems so long ago now it does
0: but it's still like when I was watching those videos you sent me it still seems like yesterday
1: I know it's it's like every time a hurricane bears down on the coast I just like think of that whole event every single time I'm like could this be the next Katrina I don't I know. know
0: that's Irma for here Yeah, people still aren't over Irma here
1: Harvey yeah Harvey was ours um and the I mean nobody remembers it now but the great storm of 1900 Uh (laughs) uh-huh god which we talked about crazy yeah Yeah, that was crazy we talked about that last uh hurricane season so this time last year and, uh, basically still is the number one cause of the most American deaths in a single day is the nineteen 19- storm of 1900. Um, but Katrina is actually number three on the deadliest hurricane list, which is yes. Yeah. What's
0: uh, one and two.
1: Uh, I'll get into that when I okay. get into my, but, um, storm of 1900 is one. The great storm. Of 1900 I gotcha. Is one. Yeah. Yeah. But we it's guys just still have crazy. two more
0: months of hurricane season. So and there
1: hasn't been anything
0: there hasn't. I just pulled up the NOAA's Hurricane Center website to see what's out there. And there's like less than 40 percent chance of uh, some systems forming in yeah. the Atlantic. One's like directly off the coast of North Carolina. And one is like in between the Caribbean and Africa. It's been so, so quiet. Knock on wood, I know your girl just bought a house in the middle of hurricane season. That's not a very smart move, and I don't have hurricane windows. (laughs) I do have hurricane shutters, but those things are a bitch to put up, and I'm really not trying to put those (laughs) on.
1: Just put tape on the windows.
0: I was like, I want to get hurricane proof windows anyway. Maybe you can just like blow them out.
1: (laughs) Um, Right, there you go. Inside, so yeah yeah so around here um they're saying that because it's been an abnormally dry year here and then also the sahara dust cloud that comes over every year is still kind of sitting over us which is pushing all of that moisture and stuff away gotcha which usually by now we've had a named storm whether it be I like know. A, a tropical storm or a hurricane, we've definitely should have one by now.
0: Yeah, and we've usually like have battened down the hatches at the lab at least once by now,
1: right? Whether
0: that means just like the basic ratchet strap all the tanks down so they don't blow mm-hmm. away, kind of thing, and like pull back all the the shade structures so they don't get ripped in the wind, right? Like that's like the basic stuff that we do, but. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I know. Thankfully, nothing too crazy has happened yet, but we also still have two more months. So
1: Yes. Considering we'll that the last year we had so many freaking storms, none of them were super serious, but I felt like every other week I was like, okay, are we evacuating? Yeah. We... It's exhausting.
0: I follow Mike's weather page on Facebook Um, and it's like a, I don't know if it would really impact you guys or not, but it's kind of more geared towards. Uh, Florida, mm-hmm. and is this guy that just does spaghetti models from his home, and Fun. like he's gained a lot of traction, and he's pretty good about communicating everything. So, mm-hmm. um, he's a good one to follow if you're in Florida. Um, but yeah, he, like, it seemed like you know last year, every time I opened up Facebook, there was like another post from Mike's weather page, like with a spaghetti model of something, <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. And this year, I'm like, oh, I haven't really uh, seen anything, so thank you. But also, like, knock on wood, I'm not yeah. trying to get slammed
1: here. It's freaking Cause- exhausting because, like, anytime our lab gets to a certain threat level, we have to like evacuate all of our trucks and boats and like expensive mm-hmm. equipment to like in England City. Yeah, and it's like we were doing that so much <laughs> last year that was just, just like, like moving no. stuff around. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so, but Katrina is a completely different beast because this is why we do the evacuations, why mm. we batten down the hatches, because this happened. And it I was I know, I was going to ask: you, do you
0: think Katrina was the turning point when it came to hurricane preparedness? Yes. And like city implementation, like changing codes?
1: Yeah, I think so, definitely I think for sure. So,
0: because I don't remember anything prior to that. Mm -hmm. Being too crazy. And now it seems like everything after that, it's just like, yeah. If if you live in a state that has any threat of a hurricane, like this is the Mm -hmm. codes we're using now.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, there were devastating hurricanes that happened before this, but Mm -hmm. I don't think the destruction and the loss of life and just there are parts of Katrina that I think were really well managed by individual groups. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, there were also parts of it that were very badly managed and caused a lot of PTSD and harm mm-hmm. and deaths. And we're in, that's one of the first stories we're actually going to talk about is about one of those situations. And so it was more than just the storm causing destruction. It was like the aftermath of mm-hmm. everything that went on in that city because well, I Latvies mean it was broke. a huge city. Yeah. And the whole thing was underwater. Like Yeah. All right. You want to get into it?
0: Let's get into it. All right. I was getting chills on my skin like watching the videos you sent me. I know. I was like, and then I got pissed at one of them that I watched, and I won't get into that because I wrote about that one. But okay, that there there was a large miscommunication that happened. Yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was just not okay. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. Like yes, I got I got chills too. Um. Okay. All right. Katrina, the name, which just used to be a name, has a different meaning now all around the world, especially in the United States. It is synonymous with suffering, with climate change, with death, and with failure. It is also synonymous with New Orleans, which was devastated by this monumental hurricane in 2005. So much so that over 15 years later, we are still talking about it. And you can still see some of the damage in the city, in neighborhoods that were underprivileged, that didn't have the money to take care of it. It's still neighborhoods that are no longer inhabited Mm -hmm. so it is likely now the most well-known hurricane in the world as so many nations contributed to aid in this devastated city but why considering that katrina impacted most of the southeast gulf does new orleans stand out within katrina discourse the answer lies in the construction of the city itself both in socioeconomic and infrastructural failures. New Orleans during the storm turned into a post-apocalyptic land of flood waters. New Orleans became something us modern Americans have not seen or experienced in decades. And mm-hmm. that's, that's part of the reason why this was so significant. So let's get into some of the basics about the hurricane and then, for this episode, Haley and I are going to be trading off stories of um, Hurricane Katrina survivors because there mm-hmm. are just so, so many and we could not possibly cover them all. So we picked ones that, you know, we thought were interesting and kind of gave good examples of some of the different stuff that was going on during this time. Yeah. Um. So Hurricane Katrina was the costliest hurricane in U.S. history, surpassing Hurricane Andrew from 92 with. Over 180 billion in damage in 2005, And that is 163.8 billion in today's money. Jeez, Louise.
0: And like where does that money come from? Us. Yeah. The government.
1: Like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Like relief funds. Yep. Um, it is also one of the five deadliest hurricanes to ever strike the you- United States with 1,833 fatalities.
0: 1,383
1: 800 1,833? Total- 1, uh-huh. Golly. Which, for a modern hurricane... It's a lot. ...is <clears throat> very unusual. Um. So Katrina is number three on that list. The only hurricane from the century to make the top five. It is topped by the Okeechobee hurricane of 1929 with... <clears throat> Uh, 2,500 deaths, or sorry, 2,500. Sorry, my brain's not working.
0: <laughs> it's okay, it's early. <laughs>
1: 2,500 deaths at number two. And then the Great Storm in 1900, which we have talked about previously, with 8,000 deaths at number one. So, That's so wild. It's so many. So on August 23rd, Hurricane Katrina began as a tropical depression over the southeastern Bahamas. Um, And you can follow along if you want in the slides. It's on slide two. Oh, yes. Okay. So it became a tropical depression over the southeastern Bahamas, um, becoming Tropical Storm Katrina on the 24th as winds rose above 39 miles per hour to 73 miles per hour. Katrina then strengthened and actually made initial landfall along southeast Florida. On August twenty-five or twenty-fifth, as a Category One hurricane, so it actually yeah. made landfall in Florida before it got to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as you a count One, Florida ex- extends further out than right. New Orleans, so you would it think it would lose
0: momentum hitting land like that. You
1: would think, yeah. So Category One is seven, 75 miles per hour to ninety-five miles per hour winds. Yeah. Um, And if you want to look up and follow along, the Saffir-Simpson wind scale is a great resource. And that's basically how we categorize hurricanes um, in the United States. And that is by the strength of the winds. I love the
0: color coordination
1: of that chart. It's good. It's beautiful. (laughs) I love a good color coordination. (laughs) Me too. Um, So then it moved back offshore into the Gulf of Mexico. Where it just sat in the warm waters of the Gulf um, and gained strength because warm water,
0: water, yeah, is what
1: intensifies hurricanes, and so it intensified to a terrifying Category Five. God, while it sat there, and like
0: what a course of like one or two days. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, so that's winds above 156 miles per hour. So that is extremely intense winds surprisingly though that's not what made this hurricane so deadly for new orleans and the hurricane actually weakened to a category three before making landfall on the gulf coast on the 28th
0: and then it picked back up again
1: no so it made oh, landfall landed as-,
0: as a category three
1: yes so it made landfall it in florida as a one became a five in the gulf and then weakened to a three before it made landfall in Louisiana.
0: I thought it landed as a five in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's Oh, but all the poor
1: infrastructure
0: is what uh-huh. caused all the problems. Mm. Yeah. It's a bummer. Because yeah. so can- it did not have to be as bad as it was. Because No. I mean, like, threes are bad. Don't get me wrong. But oh, it's yeah. one of those things. It's like, if you have the infrastructure there, like, you might get some minor damage. Yeah. Some minor flooding, down, minor flooding, like shingles ripped off your roof, type of thing.
1: Right, right.
0: But so hardly category- any deaths.
1: <laughs> right, Category Three made landfall on the Gulf Coast in Southeast Louisiana um, first on the twenty eighth at one hundred and twenty miles per hour. Then along the Mississippi Gulf Coast, um, still as a Cat Three, so it made landfall three times three times.
0: I think that's got to be a record for something, right? Like <laughs> hurricane to make the most
1: landfalls, right? Um so by August 29th, the hurricane finally weakened below hurricane intensity as it made its way inland, dumping rain on central Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, Alabama, and the western Florida panhandle. Storm surge okay. was highest just east of the eye near Bay St. Louis. Um, or maybe Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, and Mobile Bay in Alabama. So the storm surge wasn't even high, the highest in New Orleans. Uh, hmm. Mobile docks measured the highest surge of the storm at 11.45 feet. However, storm surge was likely close to 20 feet along the Mississippi-Alabama border. So they are the ones who actually got the highest storm surge.
0: Wow. Not
1: uh, new orleans
0: and did um mississippi and alabama have like as much damage as new orleans
1: no but they did have damage i actually after katrina went down there with a mission group Mm -hmm. with um the church i was currently going to and we we went down there to help fix up houses and stuff so they definitely got damage yeah um but it was nothing compared to what new orleans experienced so what happened to make this event so deadly that for new orleans surely by now we have the technology to prevent this level of deaths when associated with hurricanes mm-hmm. i mean in comparison a recent hurricane um in the area hurricane ida in 2021 which was a category four by the way made landfall new new orleans um And it only resulted in 107 deaths. Oh, wow. So the reason that this hurricane was so deadly was not the winds, but instead the water and the failure of city infrastructure to protect mm-hmm. all of the people. Because New Orleans is essentially a bowl, right? It <laughs> like, is. It, it should not I exist. But yeah. it does. Um, And it's like, if you're going to have a city like that in today's age with intensified hurricanes and climate change you gotta gotta, protect the people living there yeah you gotta update the infrastructure yeah and i think this like you said was kind of the first thing we all experienced of like how bad climate change could potentially be
0: yeah or just like how important it is to make sure like a city's infrastructure is monitored and updated Mm -hmm. accord accordingly
1: yeah so New Orleans had been spared a direct hit from the winds, but the levee system by August 31st, the levee system had failed and mm-hmm. water was now flowing into the city from the Mississippi River, from all of the redirection canals, from whatever storm surge they did get. And 80% of New Orleans was under floodwaters. Yeah, it was by insane. The, by the 31st. it's a big city yeah I've been there recently
0: (laughs) all underwater
1: (laughs) um and actually fun fact the Bourbon Street super touristy area that I'm sure if you've gone to New Orleans you've been to yeah it was was down there (laughs) oh what (laughs) yeah it was one of the few places that wasn't because it is the historic part of the city and they were it's also the highest point in the city huh interesting interestingly enough so that's why while it still smells like pee and urine it's
0: it smells so bad it smells god. awful <laughs> like if you get drunk enough you don't notice it but then the next day when you're walking around hungover you're like oh my god
1: yeah next horrible. time we go i think we're gonna stay on frenchman street and do yeah. like, the jazz quarter instead of doing bourbon street because i was mm, not a not a the biggest fan um, I
0: did Bourbon Street and Broadway back to back and I think back on that time in my life and I'm like wow I had a lot of energy and need to be able to do that
1: <laughs> you know I went there this year as an almost 30 year old and broke my foot pretty much so. yeah
0: <laughs> My goodness gracious
1: anyway back to the horror um so how did this happen? Um, a combination of whatever storm surge they had in 10 inches of rain that got dumped on them overnight mm-hmm. caused the levees that held back the waters of Lake Pont... I can never say Pontchartrain. <laughs> I can never say that. Lake Pontchatrain. I've and listened Lake- to a
0: lot of country songs that have that in there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like Bor- Bor- born you don't know that one I don't know I don't speak French y'all I know (laughs) uh if it was Spanish I would be able to handle it I think but there's too many silent letters and like uh Creole French and like Cajun French is way different than like yeah actual French so anyway So they're the two lakes that surround, or on like either side of New Orleans. Um, It caused them to become overwhelmed. So some levees were overtopped, such as those on 17th Street and the Industrial Canal, whereas some levees just structurally failed altogether, crumbling over the force and weight of the incoming water. So by the afternoon of August 29th, as the hurricane had already dissipated inland, 20% 20% of the city was underwater and the flood wi- floodwaters were only rising. Oh, no. So it would go from 20% on the 29th to 80% on the 31st. God. Yeah, and so you Quick. can... S- I know. You can see um, in that picture next to the, like, path and intensity chart mm-hmm. of oh, the floodwaters just pouring in. yeah. And there's like a barge over there in a neighborhood. That's what that thing is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw that on one of the
1: videos. Too. I was like, Holy That's shit. So much. It's just so much. Um, it's a lot for sure. Yeah. So, New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin, or Nagin, I think it's probably Nagin, had ordered a mandatory evacuation of the city the day before the hurricane made landfall. And an estimated 1.2 million people left ahead of the storm, but because New Orleans, there's only like one way in, one way out, basically. Like the Keys, or you can go across like Pontchartrain,
0: mm-hmm. but it,
1: there's only a couple of major roads. Not like you can take back roads to get yeah, around. Yeah, looks like
0: there's like three. Yeah, Route 90, uh, I-10, I-55. Yeah, But
1: it's it's not like there's like back roads that you can take around.
0: No, definitely not. Because it's all water.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's at the extreme southern end of the Mississippi River, so it's not like you can go south to get out of it. No. You can only go north. And, and... you can't
0: even really go east to get out of it either. You can try to go west. Right. But that's still going to put you so out. So a day I'm
1: before like... the hurricane, even though 1.2 million people left... It was hard for a lot of people were forced to stay in the city because uh that they were just sitting on the on the interstate.
0: Yeah, see that's something that makes me nervous down here is mm-hmm. like making the call to evacuate because like it could turn at any moment and mm-hmm. like it could be a one. That's what happened with Irma. It was it wasn't a category four right off the bat, and it turned last minute, and everybody was like, "Oh shit." Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're in it now, I guess. Right. And then like, there's only one way out. It's one road two two lane road for most of it. And it's like only one lane. Yeah. So like, yeah, you're sitting. And then like, if you have any type of rack on the outside of your car and you start running out of gas and you have gas tanks on the back of your car, like, I don't know, it's not out of the ordinary for somebody to come up and try to take it from you. Right. To, like put in their car. Like, yep. So it's really about like making that call when you're going to evacuate and just, I guess in that situation, it's like if you make the call and you evacuate and it's quote unquote like too soon, but you know you're safe. And if it hits as a category one or less, you're like, well, at least I'm safe and I made the right decision and I know I'm fine.
1: Yeah, I mean... They should have, and this is hindsight, and obviously post-Katrina hindsight's- way of looking at it, they should have made that decision to evacuate as soon as it hit Cat 5.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it was sitting as a Cat 5 for, like, what, a day and a half? hmm Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I agree. I know. It's yeah. really hard. I, hindsight's always twenty twenty because when it is, it did sit as a Cat 5, and... Yeah. Well, you
1: know, it's probably not going to hit as a one at that point. It's going to be a two or higher. At the I know. Very least. I you know. know. And, um,
0: if I was somebody living in New Orleans and I saw it hit a cat five, I, I would have been packing up my house right down there. I'm like, all right, like no matter <laughs> what they say, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. leaving.
1: <laughs> so let's get into that. So tens of thousands of residents, could not or would not leave, and I know a lot of people are always like, "Well, why didn't they just leave? Why didn't they just leave?" There's a lot of reasons why. A lot of so, yeah, a lot of reasons, but also there's a lot of pride of like,
0: "I was born here, I'm gonna die here" type of thing too. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure, that's a factor.
1: So many of these people sheltered in their homes or in te- temporary shelters such as the Louisiana Superdome and the New Orleans Convention Center. Um. While there's a lot of talk of disparaging people for staying in New Orleans, considering the potential dangers of dealing with a Category 3 hurricane, there are a lot of reasons beyond stubbornness for staying during a hurricane. A lot of the individuals who stayed were disproportionately underprivileged at or below the poverty line or lacked physical transportation to Mm -hmm. leave.
0: Yeah, it's a real bummer.
1: So... Others likely lacked somewhere to go. Like they didn't have family outside of town that they could go to or could not afford a hotel room in nearby cities such as Houston. I know a lot of refugees came our way. Um, In addition, many of those underprivileged considered their homes their capital because all of their finances were tied to the house and property. Mm -hmm. And so they decided to stay and try to defend it from damage. And it might have seemed the best choice because when they lost their house, what were they going to do?
0: Yeah. They're like, I can't leave and I need to have a place to live. Right. If I leave and my house isn't here when I come back, then I really don't have a place to live.
1: Right. Right. So it's for mostly for these reasons and not stubbornness and pride, actually, that drove many people in New Orleans to stay. That's so sad. It just like yeah. the help wasn't there. Mm hmm. And this happens a lot with just about every bad things that happen in this country. If you have enough money to get yourself out of the situation, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. But if you don't, then you suffer. And it's, it's heartbreaking. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard truth for a lot of people to deal with. So, yeah. um, so in the immediate aftermath of the levees breaking, Many emergency services were unable to respond to 911 and distress calls due to their own headquarters being underwater as much as 20 feet. God. So they couldn't do anything <laughs> either. From August 29th to September 1st, floodwaters continued pouring into the city. By September 1st, about 30,000 people were sheltering under the wind damaged roof of the Superdome. Jeez. With 25,000 at the convention center nearby. It's
0: insane. So many. It's, I saw the photo. It, yeah. There's all in there.
1: All crammed in there. The, like, and we'll get into it, but the health concerns of having that many people all together. There's no AC. There's mm-hmm. no power. And we'll talk about how the National Guard handled this and it was not I would say their most shining moment
0: yeah I in sure National Guard
1: history. But it's it looks apocalyptic.
0: Yeah it definitely did.
1: Yeah. So shortages of food and water became an issue very quickly as aid had yet to arrive elsewhere via the National Guard or other emergency services. Daily temperatures reach 90 degrees Fahrenheit following the storm just like it is here because it was fricking September. So hot. Um, only exacerbating the crowding issues, sanitation problems, and lack of access to clean water. Absence of basic sanitation quickly created a public health emergency due to the heat floodwaters and massive amounts of people sheltering at the superdome. Mm-hmm. Um, so after president Bush declared a state of emergency, the national guard arrived on September 2nd to distribute food and water and start policing the city which was experiencing massive amounts of crime, including looting, assault, and sexual assault.
0: Ugh. Um, really? At that. a time like this? Mm-hmm. God.
1: People, there's those people who What's are What's wrong shitty. with people? Yeah. People are shitty. When And there's a lot of people that it's like, once there's no rules, I'm going to go do whatever I want. You know? I hate people. And um, the National Guard had put the whole city under martial law during this time
0: god and what's martial law again
1: that's basically where the military controls it there's no gotcha they're they're in charge basically gotcha yeah so um they required the superdome survivors who are already in a very stressful situation to stay in the superdome until the floodwaters began receding so they were kind of in between a rock and a hard place um Recovery efforts began and dozens of countries contributed funds and both Mexico and Canada actually deployed troops to assist with the massive cleanup and rebuilding of the city. The Army Corps of Engineers pumped the last floodwaters out of the city on October 11th, 43 days after the storm made landfall.
0: I was just doing the math in my head. I was like, holy crap, like two months, almost a uh-huh. month and a half. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It took that long. It was that much water. I was wondering
0: how they all got rid of it because I was like, I'm sure some of that was tidal, right?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the Army Corps Engineers, that's actually where Ethan uh, branched to as engineers. Cool. Um, but they they're usually pretty sharp and pretty on it. And yeah. I just think it was just so much water in a city that's essentially a bowl. Yeah. Right? Just so- too much to do. So residents began returning to the city and it has remained about 20% below its uh, original population in 2005. Um, It has been a long, slow recovery process and some communities are still devastated by the impacts of the storm in their neighborhoods, finances, and through loss of life. Um... Many former Katrina refugees that had left the city have relocated to other states as their homes were destroyed and they were unable to rebuild. Um, The Army Corps of Engineers determined the flaws in the flood protection system that led to the massive disaster. They determined that levees in some parts of the city were not tall enough to hold back water. Mm -hmm. Some floodgates did not close properly Mm -hmm. and others collapsed internally. Many Mm -hmm. parts... Of New Orleans, vulnerable to flooding, were not listed as flood zones by FEMA. So homeowners really, were- yes,
0: I feel like that whole city is a flood zone,
1: <laughs> right? <Okay.
0: laughs> yeah. But it's like here, like when you're looking at housing, and then like you want to look at what flood level you are. Like it's all a flood level. It's just a matter yeah. of which flood level you are. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's kind of how it is in Norfolk, too, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, it's like,
0: just don't get the worst one. You just got to get either, like, (laughs) the, the least one or the second to least one.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, so many houses were not listed as flood zones by FEMA, so homeowners were not warned of the dangers and didn't have flood insurance. Golly. And I'm sure this was a way to cut costs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um. So New Orleans has now put $15 billion uh, to upgrade the levees and floodgates and the defenses held during Hurricane Ida in 2021, which I was able to see the damage from on an, an alligator tour. Our guide was actually...
0: Oh, yeah. I'm really cool
1: that. for a good old Seeing boy, you so know what I much mean? much
0: death, too. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he was actually there during Katrina as well, and he told us that he drove around in his airboat for three days rescuing people, and he didn't sleep for, like, yeah. 72 hours, and that's all he did. And he was talking about how he would just see bodies floating in the water everywhere.
0: I can't imagine. Yeah. I don't, I've even talked to my boyfriend about that. Cause you know, he's law enforcement. He has to deal with dead bodies from time to time. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, if I ever saw a dead body, I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably vomit.
1: I think if I saw a freshly dead body, that would be rough because the decay and that'd be hard for me, but a skeletonized body, I think would be very creepy, very disturbing, very upsetting, but I think I could handle it better.
0: Yeah, because there's, like, less to, I don't know, associate with the person, I guess? Like, their face isn't there? Like, Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
1: It's it's yucky either way. You cut it. Right. So, many survivors of Katrina saw horrors that many modern Americans cannot even imagine. Floodwaters completely overtaking houses, bodies floating in the streets. Refugees forced into crowded spaces that quickly became filled with human filth. And survival looked different all over the city, with many attempting to take shelter in the miserable conditions of the Superdome, those forced onto their rooftops for days without supplies, those wandering through the flooded streets, others dealing with looting and assault, nurses trying to keep hospitals running to keep patients alive, and the few rescuers that were able to get out during those first days to rescue others were also in danger themselves and were working around the clock to exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Through the History Channel interview series called I Was There, we will talk about these different stories and try to understand just what it was like to survive Hurricane Katrina. So that's kind of our intro (laughs) to what we're doing today. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was good to kind of get a full view of just what was going on because I feel like these stories are very like specific.
0: Yeah, I like how you did all that cuz a lot of what you talked about comes back in my stories too. Mm-hmm. Obviously cuz it was Katrina, but like there were some touch points that you'll yeah. recognize.
1: Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first?
0: Um, I can go first for one of them okay. and then um yeah, I have it right here. So, um my first story is from the History Channel series I was there, like you just Mm -hmm. mentioned. Uh, But this title is called Roof Rider. Ooh. Yeah. Did you end up watching this one too, or did you just send
1: me links that you didn't watch yet? I just sent you the links I didn't watch because I don't want to know. I didn't want to know anything.
0: Good, good, good. So Robert Green is the name of this man who's telling the story. And he starts out saying, you know, we're used to hurricane season mm-hmm. and it, it sounded like what his routine was similar to how a lot of people and that I know in the Keys and I'm sure, you know, people in Texas that do this,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, they leave for hurricane season. They just go see a different family member for four months. And <laughs> that's like what they do. And I mean, so, if you got
1: money to do it, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, so he, he. it doesn't seem like he had a lot of money. It seemed like he was definitely like in that poverty uh neighborhood um but he said you know he every like it sounded like every year during hurricane season he's like you know we're used to it uh we go to Tennessee to see my brother Hmm. he gets to see his like grandchildren we stay Mm -hmm. and maybe they just do it for whenever there's a hurricane threat maybe it's not for four months but
1: yeah yeah um
0: that's that's their routine they leave and go to his brothers in Tennessee and um so When Katrina was coming, you know, he was like, Our routine was we were going to go to Tennessee with my mom and my three grandkids to see my brother and escape the season or at least the storm. And he said that his mother, her health was not good. She has Parkinson's disease. Oh boy. And I don't know much about Parkinson's, but I guess you shake. Yeah, it's like a shaking thing because he comes back around to talk about that. Mm -hmm. It's Um, like a
1: muscle nervous system problem. I think eventually you lose a lot of your physical control over things.
0: Yeah. So they were on their way to Tennessee and his mother's health just was not good. So they turned around because I think he thought it was better to just kind of like keep her there and all stay together as a family. Mm -hmm. And so they turned around. And went to um, the Superdome and they were standing in line trying to figure out what to do. And then his mom, she's just so weak that she couldn't stand anymore. So they went to a staff aid member and was like, hey, you know, this is our situation. What do we do? And they just told them to come back tomorrow. They won't be like as busy. And so uh, obviously tomorrow never came to stand in that line. So at four o'clock in the morning, his brother, it seems like he has more than one brother because he had a brother in the house that they live in mm-hmm. with his three grandkids and his mother. That's like their house. Mm-hmm. And then he also has a brother in Tennessee. So I don't want to get that too confusing. Gotcha. Um. So at four o'clock in the morning, his one brother wakes him up and says, hey, like we got water in here. And he wakes up and like all the furniture is floating and so it's like it's the you know flooding has started to happen and so they decide that his brother kicks out the vent and he says that like this is not going to work like we need to get onto the roof Mm -hmm. and um chose a one story house then
1: yeah okay
0: yeah and yeah and so um (laughs) yeah it's, it's a sad story so they get onto the roof because they decide that that's the safest. And like. As they're getting up on the roof. The home is lifted off its foundation. <gasps> and it's floating down the street. 10 to 15 miles an hour. With seven people. On my the God. roof. It's oh just. My God. And it's bumping into neighboring houses. It's just going right down the street. And. The only thing that stopped them Was crashing into a tree. And so once they crashed into a tree, the house was starting to fall apart, obviously. And so Robert was trying to transport his three-year-old granddaughter to a safer roof that was right next to them. Mm. And so he picks her up and safely places her on the neighboring roof, turns around to get his other grandchild. And when he turns back around to put that grandchild on the roof, the three-year-old granddaughter's gone. (gasps) And so he just doesn't know, like if the wind blew her off or if she fell yeah or if she slipped but she was just he was like i turned around and she was gone and i didn't see her at all anywhere and so you know unfortunately like she was one of the lives lost really and so yeah oh my god like in the blink of an eye yeah and that just has to be it's a I'm sure that's such a hard situation to be in because that's like in the moment your adrenaline's rushing. Your first thought is like, "I need to get everybody onto this safer roof," and then you're like, "Where the heck does she just go?" And then you know that she's not coming back, right? But like, it's like, but you have another to mourn either, like, because you have you have to keep
1: going, the rest of your family safe. That reminds me of, um, oh, what was his name? His first name is Isaac, but the weather bureau guy in the store of 1900 who was that happened to his family as well where he lost a huge chunk of his family but he was trying to keep two of his daughters alive yeah Um, but his wife and a couple of their kids were already dead or yeah you know didn't know that at the time but i just it's so so hard
0: it's yeah it's scary it's sad and so when it was time to transport his mother over to the roof and essentially shook so much and so violently that she just fell out of their hands and fell right into the water that was underneath them and his brother ended up being able to get her back onto the roof and resuscitate her and so like she was resuscitated but in the end, she didn't make it because she just swallowed too much water and oh had my too much water in her lungs. So she ended up essentially drowning.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and her last words was that she was going to go take care of her great-grandchild because oh. gr- her great-grandchild was a three-year-old uh, that fell off the roof. And so in the end, they were rescued by a person who witnessed Hurricane Betsy, and he saw that the flooding was coming. So he took his 18-wheeler and his boat illegally onto the bridge.
1: Hell yeah. And-
0: I guess, I guess launched it from the bridge because the water was so high Mm -hmm. that it was up on these. When you think about like a bridge overpass. Yes. That's how tall (laughs) the water was. It was meeting these bridge overpasses. Yeah. And so I guess this guy took his 18 wheeler and and his boat and I guess illegally launched it from the bridge and rescued Robert and the rest of his family. And as they're driving on the boat they passed the levee that broke which brought mm-hmm. all of the water in there was like nothing more that he could have done to rescue his family cuz it was just it was just so much and it was out of his hands and so, i mean these, these are like, just it-
1: normal people you know yeah they're not like because we i feel like we talk about these like super duper adventure bros that like go out and do stuff on purpose but this is one of those circumstances where I almost feel like this is more monumental in some ways to survive because you're just an average person just trying to live your life. And yeah. then you're in the path of this, you know, unprecedented storm essentially.
0: Yeah. And you have like family with disabilities and everything mm-hmm. too. And it just adds another complication to yep. a rescue.
1: Yes, and I'm so, pretty aware of that.
0: Yeah, sorry, didn't mean to.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, but also, you do know that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not just my dad, it's uh, Corey as well. I mean, he's got oh, diabetes. One, yeah. Diabetes, and if you don't keep the insulin cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No bueno. So that's always a concern for us. Yeah. So anyway, Golly. continue.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to say now, you know, Robert's giving back to his community and he's helping rebuild the community he's on. I think I can't remember if he started this nonprofit. I'll have to go back and look at it again. Um, but he works with a nonprofit to help rebuild his community. Yeah. So now he's giving back
1: so. now, it's super important. And that's kind of how a lot of these things end is I mean, these people went over uh, through something that's so insane. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people were just so greatly affected. It's completely changed their lives in a lot of ways. That's, that's devastating.
0: I know. I just can't imagine like being like, okay, here's a safe roof. Like we're going to be okay. And like, you put your grandchild up there and then you look back and she's gone. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what?
1: And you can't do anything about it.
0: You can't. I know. And like the first thought is like, get the kids up first. Like, you know yeah make them safe yeah and not I don't know it's one of those things where it's like does a three-year-old really have like the wherewithal to yeah stay on a roof like plant their feet down sit down I'm sure he did everything right you know I'm not I I would
1: not blame him at all I
0: wouldn't me neither my first thought would be like get the kids up there like Mm -hmm. them first and then We'll we'll go last.
1: So Yeah. Well, and a lot of the rescues that happen, I'll talk a little bit about this when I get into my rescuer story, but so many of the people who rescued were just normal people. They weren't actually groups of people. They were people who were smart enough to realize this was going to be a bad one. Like my tour guide with his airboat or the guy on the bridge with the 18 wheeler. Like Mm -hmm. that, that was a lot of the rescue
0: it's like people in
1: the neighborhood you
0: know oh my gosh and i'm sure like people that um like saw others getting rescued felt just i don't know like panicked too like hey come get me like have you ever seen like when people are like i want to get rescued too Mm -hmm. and then they start like pulling the boat down yep so i'm sure there was a lot of that happening too and it's like as the rescuer, it's hard to be like, I'll come back for you, I promise. Oh, like, just yeah. stay here. Yeah. You know, and then you come back and they're not there. And it's like, yeah. did they not listen to you? Did something happen to them? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. All right, I well. Don't want, I don't even want to think about that. It scares me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I made you think about it, so here we are. I, know, I
0: just <laughs> talked about it.
1: All right, so mine is titled Superdome Survivor. So we're going to get into some shit. Okay, so Shelton Shakespeare, this is nickname, Alexander, was born in Virginia, however, has been a New Orleanian since he was two weeks old when his family moved to the Ninth Ward neighborhood of New Orleans. Um, He is a former Marine, an artist, and a slam poet from Violet, Louisiana, where he was living at the time that Katrina hit. Um, and violet is a town just southeast of new orleans which is bordered to the west by the mississippi river and to the east by marshland so these marshes once served as protection or a barrier against hurricanes um, and it's an ecosystem that has been disappearing in this region mainly due to the redirection of the mississippi which is also part of the reason this hurricane was so bad so The river used to be like a wide delta that would deposit tons of silt and sediment into the marsh ecosystem surrounding New Orleans but Mm -hmm. now it deposits all of the silt directly into the Gulf of Mexico so these marshes aren't able to like build. Yeah, It's a problem. So anyway because of this, Violet like many other towns on the outskirts of New Orleans was not a good place to be when a hurricane was bearing down. So Shelton and his auntie were some of the last ones to leave their neighborhood on sunday august 28th a neighborhood which was a predominantly black community as many neighborhoods greatly impacted by katrina were winds were already gusting as much as 100 miles per hour when they left violet as katrina was beginning to make landfall um As they got on the interstate heading north into New Orleans, traffic was backed up and they didn't move for hours.
0: Oh, my God. I'm sure.
1: So originally their plan was to try to get to Baton Rouge, which is north and more inland. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were low on gas and trapped on the interstate. God. So they decided to take shelter in the one place they knew they could, the Louisiana Superdome. Yep
0: mm-hmm
1: Which is located I mean, like, down? Do you do in that situation? Because uh, it's like they were trying to get out. Yeah, you know. So, and
0: at some point, you're like, we have this much gas left. We can get to point A, mm-hmm. or we can sit here. Yeah, like try yeah. to get more gas somewhere.
1: Yeah, so. The Louisiana Superdome is located in downtown New Orleans. It's like the home stadium of the New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. So it's a big old NFL football stadium, um, and it does have a roof that covers because it's yeah. New Orleans and it rains all the fucking times. So. Yeah. <laughs> so they took uh, the exit off the interstate, parked the car near a parking garage, and made their way to a massive line. Once they reached the entrance to the Superdome, they were searched by local National Guard troops that were organizing the logistics of the Superdome-turned-refugee camp. Shelton had closed his wallet and a camera as he was an artist and wanted to record the experience for posterity. And this was a lot of the footage that you see in the video. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. So he and his auntie settled in some of the spectator seats inside of the massive football stadium, uh, which was covered by the retractable roof. Um, what food was available were MREs, um, which which is what is that meals ready to eat or something? Oh, OK. It's the what the army. Yeah, needs. I should know what the acronym is. I'm sure my dad's like screaming at me at this point.
0: It sounds like it's something like meals ready <laughs> to eat. Because isn't two one of those words that's like not in an acronym?
1: I don't know. Hold on. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe I'll cut this out. No, I won't. I won't cut yeah. this out. No, I have no idea. What does it mean? Yeah, I was right. Meal's ready to eat. Yeah. Cause
0: two is one of those words that's not an acronym. It's like a kind of silent word.
1: I know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, we're smart. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The problem was many of the civilians didn't understand how to use them because you have to, like, put them Boil together. Boil water. Yeah. yeah. So, and the the National Guardsmen weren't really explaining. They were just, like, handing them out. Like, you figure it out. Um. So Shelton, who was a former Marine, explained to as many people as he could how to prepare their meals. And- That's nice. So Shelton and the others were sheltering that's a lot of shelt yeah it's
0: like that's a tongue
1: twister (laughs) felton and the others were sheltering in the superdome heard a loud sound early on monday morning a crashing sound coming from the retractable roof so in the dim light they began to see water starting to seep in from a hole in the roof um Throughout the day, more holes in the roof opened up caused by the extreme winds that battered the structure, pouring rainwater down onto the field. Um, People started to panic. Guardsmen started moving people away from the field and higher up into the seats and into the building around the stadium. Shelton states that he remembers a lot of anxiety and concern for what was going on outside of the dome, since all they could hear was the howling of the wind and the crashes from the damaged structures. So they had no idea the full extent of what was going on outside, like the flooding and all of that.
0: Yeah. Also, like, I don't know. Howling of wind is just one of the most eeriest yeah to hear like especially in a storm you're like oh god like something's gonna blow over
1: (laughs) shit (laughs) yeah um so shelton tried to stay calm by writing poetry for an upcoming competition that he was going to and recording the experience um by tuesday they started having food shortages the National Guard stationed around the dome would still not let them leave, as at this point the levees had begun breaking and floodwaters began rushing the city. The survivors in the Superdome, however, began feeling like prisoners as information was not properly disseminated down the to the literal thousands of people sheltering there. So they yeah, didn't that's know. super
0: annoying. Yeah, they didn't know like, what are we doing? What's that's happening?
1: Annoying. They didn't know that's why they were still there. Um, yeah so they didn't fully understand the extent of the flooding and the lack of food rations as well as the quickly declining quality of life within the dome was creating tensions rising tension shelton described the horrible smells of human waste that began infecting the whole structure Mm -hmm. due to the lack of bathroom facilities for that many people for that long of time um he remembers walking by people and noted that older people would sit in place for days at a time, not moving, and no one was really checking on them. Ugh. you Like, they're dead. No. Oh. No, they're still alive, but they, they're not there with family. There's, yeah. like, nobody really making sure that they're...
0: Okay. Like, yeah. depression is setting in, I'm sure.
1: Right. So, he also mentioned that as the storm passed and the hot Louisiana August weather returned along with the humidity, it began to get super hot within the dome, causing temperature or temper, anxiety, and feelings of entrapment to rise. In addition, because there was no power, people couldn't charge their phones, and so communication with the outside world stopped. So oh my God. they had no scary. way to know if their family members were okay, mm-hmm. and they had no way to know what was going on outside. And the National Guard were not
0: helping. God, it's such a bummer. You would, like That's who you look to in times like this.
1: Right. There was also a lack of logistics when food arrived, as nobody really knew where to go. So people would wait over two hours in lines for supplies and fighting would break out over food and water. Yeah. Other times, if you miss the food and water call, you'd have to wait over six hours until the next one. God, that's so
0: long. Six hours for water and food? Like you're supposed to eat like every three to four
1: hours. Yeah. So, especially if you have older or disabled sick people, if you have diabetes, that's when you need food. Um, So many, including Shelton and his auntie, began to get worried that they were going to be starved to death as they waited for days locked in place by the National Guard. And Shelton, who had previously been deployed, um mention it felt more like afghanistan than new orleans oh my god so
0: that says something right there
1: mm -hmm. shelton and his family left on wednesday evening because after all they had gone through these three days he thought his chances were better on the outside so on this day the water was really rising in the city and additional guard troops from elsewhere had not yet arrived with aid um Shelton and a friend had managed to find a small exit that wasn't guarded by the National Guard and they had to walk through the parking garage which was half submerged at this point. So Shelton was really worried about getting pulled down into the lower the lower levels by the flow of the water. That was basically sucking floodwaters down mm-hmm. into the depths of the of the parking structure. So Shelton was parked on the other side of the parking garage in the street. And miraculously, the vehicle wasn't submerged.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So it was then, though, he realized he didn't have his keys. They were still in the duffel bag at the Superdome with his his aunt. Oh, my God. So annoying. Only an exploratory mission to see if his vehicle was even drivable to begin with. So he and his friend had to go all the way back through the dangerous parking garage on his way to get his duffel bag and his aunt, he f- he and his friend picked up like 17 other people that they knew from their parish, which mm-hmm. is a county, a county, uh, <laughs> and promised to get them out of the Superdome in his truck. Um, he helped 19 other people, children included, get out of the Superdome with many cramming into the bed of his truck. Uh, Just as the first gunshots rang out from inside the Superdome, they headed up onto the interstate, which wasn't flooded, and further north to another refugee camp he had heard about, in a way from the dangerous turmoil of the Superdome. So I guess he had enough gas to get there.
0: That's good.
1: Post-Katrina, Shelton has experienced many anxiety attacks and stated that his whole world felt completely different after the experience in that even after rebuilding, New Orleans would never be the same. He mentions that even today, the ninth ward where he lived when he was younger is still very abandoned and empty. He has some survivor's guilt as well, as he was aware that he could only save 19 people from the hellishness of the Superdome and recalls so many desperate faces that he passed on his way to gather up his friends and family to leave. Um, but he, yeah. But he states if he had returned to get more people, the national guard would have shut him down, turned him away.
0: Really? hmm That's dumb.
1: Um, in addition to physically helping rebuild his community, he has written poetry and taught creative writing since 2006 as his way of giving back and rebuilding his community. You can check out one of his poems about Katrina spoken by himself on history.com. I was there and it is really powerful. It is super powerful. All of those videos are so powerful. I literal chills. Like I know I was watching these. So that was the superdome.
0: Golly. Well, I have one next called um, um, called Heroes of Charity Hospital.
1: Oh yeah, I wanted to hear this one.
0: Yeah, this one is pretty good. I also watched um one of the other ones that was about uh it was like one of the first ones you sent me in that link. And I think the theme for like a lot of these stories is just their faith in their religion. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's when times are bad, they definitely lean on their faith. Yeah. And so The Heroes of Charity Hospital is about nurses and doctors that were in Charity Hospital during Katrina. Yes. And specifically, the people that are talking on this video is Henrietta and Dr. Ben. Okay. I'm just going to use their first names because I don't want to butcher their last names. Okay. Um, So (laughs) Henrietta was a nursing supervisor in... The SICU, I don't know what that acronym is in hospital terms, but it's something I ten- intensive care unit at the Charity Hospital. Okay. And Dr. Ben was the director of critical care services at Charity Hospital during Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Ben first stepped into Charity Hospital in 1978 when he started medical school and never left until the doors closed, which I'm assuming meant after Katrina. Yeah. Um. So he was there for a long time and charity hospital is the oldest continuing hospital in the United States and has trained 70% of the physicians that practiced in the state of Louisiana. Wow. So a lot of physicians come from this hospital. Um, Henrietta, Henrietta's first nursing job was at charity hospital back when the nuns were supervising the nurses. Ooh. So <laughs> she said that they ran a tight ship. So sure I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but also, you know, because you're in a tight ship, you get great training too. So it all worked out. Henrietta was off that weekend that Katrina hit, but she got a call to report in. So naturally, I think everybody's first thought when you're off and you get a call to come in is like, it's one of two. It's either like, wow, this must be bad. If you know, like a situation is happening, like a Mm -hmm. hurricane or two, like what, why do I have to come in? Like, (laughs) like,
1: (laughs) God damn it. You know,
0: like it's my weekend off.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. No one, they both said that no one really had an idea of what was about to happen within the hospital. Mm-hmm. This is another example of how, like, city infrastructure and being prepared for hurricanes is very important, especially when it comes to caring for anybody in a hospital, like mm-hmm. elderly, sick, injured, what have
1: you. People who require machines to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so they were in a level 1 trauma center in a concrete building but what they didn't recognize at the time was that they had the responsibility to hundreds of patients to protect them mm-hmm. i think in their mind initially initially it was just like oh we're hunkered down like we can still operate it's going to be bad but like it'll be okay mm-hmm. and as things got worse i think they started to realize like oh shit we have hundreds of patients here and they need care And when things go bad, what are we going to do? Yeah. So they were used to a modern facility and they didn't realize how hard it was going to be to care for patients without the modern accommodations like electricity Mm -hmm. and machinery. So rain was dripping down through the ceiling onto patient beds and light fixtures were falling from the ceiling. Like that just sounds apocalyptic too, you know? (laughs) Um, and then the lights went out and Henrietta recalls that when the lights went out, it was just peace and calm. And then they heard that the news of the levees broke. Oh God. And all of a sudden she said, you could just see water coming in and it wasn't until daylight that they could see all of the damage that happened because all the lights were out. Right. And this also took out the generator too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they don't have any capability to do anything. Yeah. So they had to take out old school equipment and at this point Henrietta said that it was just about accommodating their basic needs which was just to keep them clean, give them water and mm-hmm. feed them food to just keep them healthy. Yeah.
1: I'm just thinking though about like my dad when he was in the hospital, he was on a um respirator. Mhm. So if you lose power, you just stop breathing like I know they yeah, have handheld th- th- ones, but like, in the videos, that's what that.
0: they, yeah, that in the video, that's what they flashed to was like when she said that they took out the old school equipment that they flashed to like the handheld mm. bladder pump situation yeah. that they would manually do for patients. Yeah. And so naturally nurses are working around the clock. They're not taking breaks at all because they're Mm -hmm. tending to these hundreds of patients that they need to care for. And it's just same nurses circulating throughout the same patients Mm -hmm. hours on end. And um, they were told, I forget, I don't think they named who these people were. That is the they. Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Benja said that they were told to start preparing patients that needed to get transferred and evacuated out. And so they put identifiers on all the patients and then just waited. and then they met them. I think it was like in the same building they met them. I don't know how I forget how they got them out. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't I also don't know if it was really stated how they got them out, but I think they were in some sort of like the like hospitals garage. Mm-hmm. So they put identifiers on the patients and then they waited for them to get picked up. And the worst thing that happened, Dr. Ben said, was believing that their salvation was someone else's responsibility. Meaning like their biggest quote unquote mental mistake was thinking that they were going to be saved. Mm -hmm. You know? And so nobody came for them and nurses started to hang signs out the window of where they were located hoping to be rescued. Oh my god. And you know, Dr. Ben goes on to talk about how He's like, there were a lot of feelings of abandonment because, Mm -hmm. you know, no one was coming for us. And I guess what happened was there was a miscommunication somewhere Mm -hmm. because later on in the video, he says that they heard that nobody needed to be rescued. And he was like, no, like there's a lot of people here that need to be rescued. Yeah. And so that's what I was talking about, how there was a large miscommunication that happened.
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: you know once that all got sorted out then people came and rescued them and all was well but it's just like in the heat of like the beginning stages of the hurricane landing with the flooding and the power going out and then Mm -hmm. like being told that you need to get people ready for evacuation and then no one shows up yeah (laughs) like oh we heard that everybody was fine it's like no no one's fine
1: (laughs) it's a hospital like (laughs) yes like
0: come get us (laughs) jesus
1: That's when I got pissed
0: when I was watching these because I was like, oh, my God, like, I feel like that's the first place you should check in. Right. As like the hospital. Yeah. Like, how's everyone doing? And people were dying like while they were waiting for them. Like, you know, that's what Henrietta was saying was like, we're standing there like trying to get these people out and like take care of them and just they're their needs mm-hmm. aren't being met how they should be met. And like people are dying and that's just, it's the yeah. hardest thing because you're well, working around the clock trying to help them. And that's, you're doing all you can do.
1: Well, and it's like, you don't have, you know, all the equipment you usually have. And, you know, back in the day, those people would just die. And, yeah. but now it's like, you know, we have all the stuff and that has gotta be like the hardest. Cause here's the other thing. Like when the governor said like, Hey, or the mayor, It's like, hey, let's evacuate. They should have gotten the people who were in critical condition, who needed machinery to keep them alive. They should have evacuated them Mm -hmm. to a different hospital. Just because if you lose power, you lose lives
0: immediately. So,
1: Mm -hmm. oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of mistakes with the whole rescuing stuff, but... I want to kind of clear that up because there were a lot of amazing people working around the clock to rescue Mm -hmm. people as well. And that's kind of the next story or the last story we're going to talk about today, which is the Coast Guard rescue swimmer, Lawrence Nettles. And the Coast Guard in this, this was like a shining pillar of excellence in the coast guard still talk to about today they were one of the biggest yeah. rescuers of people off of their roofs off of out of buildings that kind of thing um, and we'll kind of get into a lot of the other groups that made some significant rescues as well mm-hmm. um, in the story so lawrence nettles um a coast guard rescue swimmer described katrina as the event that everyone trains for but no one actually wants to deal with nettles is stationed at the air coast or uh, sorry coast guard air station in Mm -hmm. new orleans whose primary role is uh search and rescue cases so like burning boats lost fishermen sunken ships etc etc um, Nettles himself is a rescue swimmer, and his job is to jump out of helicopters and save those in the water and get them up into a rescue copter. So that's amazing. He's like one of the badasses um like from like the movie The Guardian. yeah, it's like one of the f- first things I think of when I think of these guys. so they're doing the, the real the real stuff um So when Katrina was on its way, the Coast Guard began getting ready for the inevitable. At the time, Nettles had been living in New Orleans for just three me- years and married for just one month. So he was a brand new hubby. hubby. Yeah. The Coast Guard, knowing they would potentially be some of the first uh, few responding entities available for rescue, followed the storm in from Houma, Louisiana, as it made landfall.
0: Oh, golly. So they were
1: following in the wake of the storm Yeah. Um, in the helicopter. So no one really knew what the situation was at first. But as they flew over the area that the hurricane had been through, they started getting distress calls and seeing houses underwater on fire, mm-hmm. completely destroyed. So they began to actually see people waving at them from rooftops and waiting in the shallow flooded water waving their arms up at them um and that was their only means to call for rescue uh so nettle said of the initial experiences you think about it you talk about it but when you see it you aren't prepared for it even though yeah. you know you've done all of this training so it wasn't long before he was doing his first rescue um later it turns out that this rescue is credited as the very first rescue of katrina Oh, wow. At 2.50 p.m. on August 29th, 2005. That's impressive. Yeah. So they were getting mayday calls from all over, but they heard mention of a baby over the radio and decided that would be their first rescue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one of those things like, how do you decide who to go for? I know, there's so many. Um, A woman named Bobby Jean Moreau and her daughter were forced onto the roof as storm waters overwhelmed the second floor of her house, her daughter had just given birth to a girl named Sheremy um, just four months earlier. And so she tied the baby to her with like netting. Oh my God. Um, so from there, Bobby with their pet dog and her daughter with Sheremy swam to a neighbor's boat, which had a cabin and a radio. They were able to get Bobby, her daughter, her granddaughter, and the dog to safety. Uh, Moreau and her family were brought to West Jefferson Hospital in Jefferson Parish they were barefoot with no purse no money no shoes originally they were taken to a shelter but it was so hot and so crowded they were worried about the health of the baby so they left and hitched a ride to a friend's house who still had water and whose house was still dry to take a shower and cool the baby down
0: good for them
1: then they made their way to stay with her nephew in Arkansas. So they were safe. That's the yeah. first credited rescue of Katrina.
0: That's nice.
1: Um. So Lawrence, however, was still working around the clock. Um. I'm um, sure. So they went to go save an elderly man who had crawled on the roof of an extremely, like, through an extremely small hole in the attic mm-hmm. that was caused by the storm. Um, when Nettles got to the roof, however, he found that the man's wife was still in the attic because she was unable to crawl through that really small hole. So, Nettles began chopping into the hole to make it bigger to get the wife out, um, and that was the first mm-hmm. roof-opening rescue they did. So from there on out, they began carrying axes at every rescue so they could get. Oh my get... god! Because not everybody's physically able to actually physically climb onto their roofs. Yeah. So. Nettles also mentions that during subsequent rescues, he found bodies stating that you cannot focus on the people that didn't make it. You just go to the next person to save. You don't let it bother you until everything's done. At this point, he had been rescuing people for 24 hours straight, but the danger was just getting started for New Orleans. So things really got going when the levees broke after 24 hours and started flooding into the city. Nettles was writing with... A Lieutenant Craig Murray, Petty Officer Second Class Warren LeBeth, and Lieutenant Dave Johnson. That was his team. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nettles and his team began working around the clock as they were still some of the only groups that were actually able to go and rescue people as many first responder headquarters in the city were underwater. Nettles and his team continued rescuing families from rooftops via rescue basket. Nettle stated that he would calm kids down before getting them in the basket by telling them it was a roller coaster. Oh, which if you see on, those baskets, go ride. <laughs> yeah, if you see those baskets, they bring them up and they spin around. So it's yeah, not, like a fun time. No, um, I
0: would vomit.
1: Yeah. Uh, Dangers began increasing as chemicals were leaching from businesses and industrial buildings, infiltrating all the flood water that surrounded these houses. Nettles realized after some of these rescues that his skin was beginning to feel a burning sensation from all of the corrosive chemicals in the water. Um, It got so bad that the helicopter had to return to the air station, but they had no power or running water. So Nettles ran from the helicopter and jumped into a ditch with a stream in it that looked relatively clean and washed his entire body in stream water, relieving the burning. But he said his skin looked like he had a really good sunburn. Ugh. During this time, they would fly six to seven hours, try to take a break and get back into it. Nettles stated that he like, would...
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, like, how, do you, how do you... like? how do you take a break during all that you know what I mean it's like I feel like you You just mentally you're like I can't take a break yeah can't can't in good conscience take a break right now
1: that's what our tour guide said like he literally didn't sleep because he every time he tried like the adrenaline and like the guilt yeah overtook him and that's what Nettles stated he tried to like go sleep in a broom closet to try to find a quiet place to sleep but like he couldn't Mm -hmm. so he would just get up and go back to work so the helicopter he was working on was a mh-65 coast guard helicopter a rescue helicopter that doesn't have a lot of room inside and is operated by that crew of four so because of this the crew really had to start making triage decisions like you mentioned because there were so many people so They would take the elderly and children first and would leave able-bodied adults behind as long as they weren't in immediate danger, Mm -hmm. packing the helicopter as tight as they could. Many of those they left behind were angry and frustrated with them for not being able to take everyone, but like that was literally all they could do because there were so many people in need of rescue.
0: I know. It's so hard. It's like, yeah, Yeah. how can you be angry at them? Like, I... I get it. But at the same time, it's like, God, they're, they're just doing their best, too. They're doing know? their
1: best. Yeah. So Nettle stated that the survivors in the helicopter would stare out the window, looking at the destruction, awestruck and crying as they flew over the completely flooded city. Because it was the first time they really fully understood what happened to their home and like understood the full scope of the storm. Mm-hmm. So Nettles would hold their hand and sit next to them and be there for them in those moments. And I think that's why a lot of people were frustrated and angry because they didn't understand how fucking bad it was. Yeah. They thought, well, maybe it's just this neighborhood or, you know, so it's just, it's crazy. water. So overall, the crew flew nine straight days of missions. Wow. Yeah. The Coast Guard overall rescued 33,500 people across the entire Gulf Coast following Katrina. So that's almost as many people that were in the Superdome.
0: That's so crazy.
1: And 19,000 were stranded in flooded areas of New Orleans. So um, 6,500 of those people were picked up by helicopter and it was the largest Rescue, air rescue mission in the Coast Guard's history. And one of the glowing success stories of Katrina, the agency deployed 26 cutters, 38 helicopters, 27 aircraft, 119 boats, and 5,600 men and women. The operation actually included many other groups, like I mentioned, including the New Orleans police and firefighters, uh, the National Guard, active military regular citizens who volunteer their boats and the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, they actually have an extremely high rescue count.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they have all the vehicles to do
1: it and they know the waters because they're out there all the time. Yeah, which as somebody who also basically works for the Texas version of that, I was like, yeah, those are my people. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so- Senator Joe Lieberman stated at a congressional hearing about all the rescuers involved, these heroes stepped in and in some ways were unprepared and unassisted. And you might say with nothing, but their courage and their wits about them say to save tens of thousands of lives. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important. After Katrina Nettles would have dreams of rooftops for years And dreams of those angrily screaming that he didn't save them. He had a lot of PTSD problems following the event and decided to go to therapy. He found out those that had worked with him had suffered from PTSD as well. And made him feel better knowing that he wasn't alone and could rely on his Coast Guard team to help him get through the worst moments. Nettle states that Katrina was the perfect example of what the Coast Guard could do, what they are capable of accomplishing. His commanding officer, Captain Jones, said of this Coast Guard mentality, the only thing worse than being at Katrina is not being at Katrina. Yeah. So this mentality represents the reason that many get into the Coast Guard to be there when the country is in dire need and when people need them the most nettle stated that even though many of them suffer with ptsd every person who helped with those rescues would absolutely do it again yeah and as much bad and i feel like as much like shitty logistics happened during and like failure of infrastructure happened during all of that i feel like there that community that city those people really came together during that
0: time totally did yeah so lot. i
1: thought we'd do this one i like to do a hurricane story every every hurricane season just to because that's probably the survival situation if i ever get in one it's going to be mm-hmm. this
0: it's gonna yeah be something
1: like this so no doubt that's what happens when you live by the coast <laughs> um <laughs> the <risk> you take <laughs> so um do my sources real quick um so my sources for the like background info was extremely powerful hurricane katrina leaves a historic mark on the northern gulf coast by jeffrey medlin and ray ball and gary beeler and that is um, from weather.com hurricane katrina aftermath encyclopedia by uh, encyclopedia britannica and then the 30th 30 deadliest u.s mainland hurricanes from weather underground and like Katrina' is the only one from this century that makes the top 10. Like that's how deadly it mm-hmm. is. Um, yeah, for the Superdome survivor Shelton Alexander, um, use I use the I was there Hurricane Katrina Superdome survivor from history.com. and I also use Shelton Alexander surviving the Superdome during Hurricane Katrina by John Butler, the last word on sports on NFL.com i also used the i was there hurricane katrina rescue swimmer from history.com and then other view rescuers during katrina a story of success the by the times and then I read a little bit from this special report of the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs mm-hmm. um, from the U.S. Senate, and it's uh, Hurricane Katrina, a nation still unprepared. And that's where I found out that he was credited as the first uh, oh, neat. rescue. So Nice.
0: Yeah, and then my sources were from history.com as well, except it's just um, the history.com i was there hurricane katrina rooftop rider and then history.com i was there the Hur- hurricane katrina heroes of charity hospital video and i would videos.
1: A- absolutely recommend going and watching those videos if you like want to hear the stories from their from their mouths i guess
0: yeah <laughs> and own. like just see the visuals and i mean the background music makes it more intense too <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, we didn't really go through all of the pictures. I'm sure you looked at them all, though. Um, that I yeah. gave you, but like, it is the devastation is just insane. It's so freaky to look at, mm-hmm. and it only happens like well, wow, oh, almost 15 years ago now. It seems 12 like years it was ago, yesterday though. I remember it. I, you know, mm-hmm. I was in middle school when it happened. Oh, Not that long ago. Still. No. So remember. <laughs> Haley has returned with food. I'm hungry. Uh it is it has been a long episode for us. It's
0: 1230. We started at 10 30. It's been about two hours.
1: Yeah, I'm getting hot just thinking about Hurricane Katrina mm-hmm. and the AC up here is not great. So Yeah, my AC is right. off. let's wrap it up with uh our happy things although it kind of ended on a happy note happy yeah so
0: I think my happy thing is that my boyfriend has weekends off soon again so now we can have weekends together again that's awesome yeah that's gonna be my happy thing
1: um I guess my happy thing is uh cory and i have been taking going on little dates a lot more lately Aww. and it has been kind of rejuvenating because i feel like we've just been so tired on the weekends that we just haven't been doing anything and lately we've been like let's go to a winery today or let's go out for lunch today or you know little things like that that have really helped because I feel like I am having seasonal depression in the yeah. summer because it's hot. you cannot go outside. <laughs> I know.
0: I I was thinking about that the other day because I was like inside. I was like, man, I really should get outside more. And I was like, it's just so hot. I don't want to go outside when it's no. hot out.
1: <laughs> like unless I'm in the water, I, I don't want to be out. Yeah. And that, even then, the water's getting kind of old. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah. I, I was outside cleaning my car out yesterday and I just like broke a sweat just doing that for like 10 minutes. I was like, God,
1: so that's, I guess, kind of my happy thing is we're forcing ourselves to go do fun things instead of laying inside all day. So that's good. No, that's good. I need
0: to do better about that. Even if it's just like a walk around the block, because I haven't really been exercising that much either. So, yeah.
1: Yep. So hopefully we'll get some cooler weather soon, but probably won't be for another month and a half. So
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fun. Can't <laughs> so, wait. I do a- like when it drops to be like 70 degrees here.
1: It's yeah. Nice. I, even 80. I'll take 80 at this point. Yeah. If It's in like the low 80s. I'll take that. That's cooler weather to me at this point. <laughs> yeah. <It's> me too. <laughs> Um, okay, well, uh, where can our listeners find us?
0: You guys can find us on social media at Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast, on Instagram, at MNWKY on Twitter. We also have a... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. On Twitter, it's MNKY Podcast. Um, and we also have a website, Mother Nature Will Kill you And... We're on all streaming platforms where you can listen to us.
1: So, yeah. Um, I think that's it. And if you want to submit a survival story of your own, you can go on our website. Then we have like a submission section where you can type up your story and send it to us, or you can send it via our email. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't have to be you survived, an unprecedented hurricane and uh, floodwaters breaking into your city and destroying everything. But if you have, and it's more common than a lot of our survival situations. So if you have, we'd like to hear about it. Pretty much if you were in New Orleans in 2005, you have a survival story uh, from this event. But yeah. If you don't, if you just Uh have, you know, something that happened to you in nature that was uncomfy or that was a little frightening, um, we like to hear those stories too. So send them in and if you want to support our show, but don't have any money because we live in a capitalist hellscape, uh, you can give us a five-star review on any of our listening platforms, um, basically, it just tells the algorithm to bump us up the charts, so hopefully more people can um, hear us or see that we exist. Cool, 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 cool. So uh, next week is going to be a doozy because I have already written it, and then after that, it's spooky season. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. I'm so excited! I got a good lineup this year, guys. Um, I'm
0: excited. Mm-hmm.
1: You should be uh okay so i guess we're gonna wrap this up and get on with our fucking days <laughs> yeah
0: it's like it's already 12 30 i gotta clean the rest of this fucking house and eat my lunch uh so until next time stay safe but most of all
1: stay curious explorers and if a hurricane hey. and if a hurricane is headed your way please evacuate yes yes <laughs>
0: please evacuate <laughs> goodbye bye